open your Bibles to Isaiah 11. We're going to do a scripture reading before we dismiss the King's kids. Isaiah chapter 11 with one of our taller kids. I mean, with heels on, yes. Yeah, I saw that you wore heels today. It just helps her. Yeah, it's her secret to being tall. Heels, plenty of heels. So Isaiah uh, chapter 11, and you're reading verses 1 through 5. 1 through 5. People are still turning pages, so I'm waiting. <coughs> rustling, rustling. All right, that section looks pretty good. That section's ready. Wait for that one guy. I think Julie's ready. All right, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Go ahead. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see for, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins amen if you're in second grade on down you are dismissed to junior church if you'd like to go king's kids you are dismissed <clears throat> and your snack smells good Got it. The rest of you are stuck. It's what grown-ups do. We persevere. Do what we need to do with a smile on our face. That should be one of your resolutions. Just smile. Keep moving on. Being the new year, uh, I want to remind you where I'm going because I have to remind myself where I'm going. This is our 20th lesson sermon in the vein of wisdom which means tw i'm at lesson number 20 on my introduction to the book of proverbs <laughs> i'm trying my best to get us to the book of proverbs but i in my studying of proverbs i'm learning it's way more than proverbs that may be the title of the book and that may be the bulk of what is in the book, but it is a book of wisdom. And all the books in the Bible are wisdom. So let me back up and summarize where we have already been. This is gonna, some of this is going to be in your notes. So beginning in the book of Genesis, we have discovered the purpose of humanity. What is the purpose of humanity? The purpose of humanity is to know God and live in union with Him. Write that down. That's the purpose. To know God and live in union with Him. To fellowship with Him. To know God. It should turn into loving God. That's how you learn to love God. 
You get to know him, his attributes, his qualities, his personality, and you spend enough time with him that you take on his attributes. It's called family resemblance. He adopts you in, he, he gives you his counsel, he gives you his presence, and you become less and less like your physical, worldly family and more and more like your spiritual, heavenly family. That's our purpose. We are made to know him and live in union with him. Now in the Bible, the process of growing to know God and growing to live daily life with God, that process is called wisdom. It's not just a few books of the Bible, it's every book of the Bible. Godly wisdom uses knowledge and ability to draw closer to God, to promote God and to help others. Let me say that again. Godly wisdom promotes who God is and makes much of Him. There is a selfish wisdom or a sinful wisdom where we take what we know and what we want, and instead of promoting God, this is the heartbeat of sin. We promote ourselves at the expense of not only dragging down God, but dragging down others. We become users instead of worshipers. And that can be irreligious people, but it can also be religious people. You can use the wisdom of this book to make yourself bigger, better, stronger, wiser, richer. You can use these principles, God's word, and not promote him. That would, that's, that's the choice we have to make. The entire Bible is a book of wisdom. Now we are going to eventually get to the wisdom books. There are, there's a class of books in the Bible called wisdom literature. You've got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, and then Job. Those books contain a lot of wisdom. The bulk of them is wisdom, how to live right, how to promote God, make much of God. That, that's true, but, but I'm, we're taking the time with all these lessons to see the progression of wisdom from Genesis all the way to Revelation, right? It's all about, the Bible's all about how to make more of God, less of myself. How to promote Him, and love others, not use others. We came across a familiar statement. We've talked about it in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapters 1 and 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, that's good to know. So we want to live a life of wisdom. Where do we start? We need to spend some time, time talking about the fear of the Lord. Because the Bible in multiple places says that's where you begin. I hope you've noticed that. And with the addition of fear of the Lord to wisdom, uh, I'm seeing an enhancement of how we pursue wisdom. Pursuing wisdom is not just a, a checklist of facts, do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. Fear of the Lord is, again... The promotion of God is chief and foremost in our hearts and our minds where we fear Him properly and then everything else falls into line. If you fear something of this world, it will master you and abuse you. If you fear some other person, you've elevated them to a point of, well, idolatry. Because you care more about what they think 
than what God thinks. Proper fear of the Lord protects us. It puts us in the right order. That's our purpose. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the middle of wisdom. It's also the end of all wisdom. That's our purpose, to grow wise in our knowledge and understanding and appreciation and love for God. That's wisdom. Fear of the Lord puts Him first. We have seen the fear of the Lord talked about in Genesis. We've seen it come out of the the mouth of Moses. We looked at what David has had to say. We've looked at things Solomon has had to say. And they've all been positive things. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. It is a great thing. It is an essential thing. It is a primary thing. The fear of the Lord is good. So why in the context of fear do so many songs, do so many TED Talks, do so many self-help books tell us to avoid fear, to run from fear? Because there are two kinds of fear. There's the positive fear of the Lord, but there's the negative fear of everything else. What you fear owns you. What you fear controls you. What you fear dominates you. It motivates you. Moves you. That's why it's so important that we fear God first and foremost. So we need, here's the next blank. We are made for wisdom. Another way to say that is the fear of the Lord. We are made to fear the Lord and love Him. And that's where the fear of the Lord takes a very interesting turn. Because those are not words we normally put together, but God is complex. God is all things holy, fierce, powerful, lovely, kind, and gracious. He's both. We should fear Him because He's the omnipotent creator of all things. In Sunday school, we read a psalm just about His voice. His voice thunders. His voice shakes the desert. His voice can strip all the trees in every forest in one breath. And that's just His voice. That's the God we serve. All-powerful, all-mighty, but also inviting. He invites us into His power. He wants us to make Him our strength. He wants us to trust His voice, to hear His voice, to follow His voice. Because although it is all-powerful, it is also all-gracious and merciful and kind. And that's the balance of fear and love being perfectly mixed in our Heavenly Father. A couple more words on the two different kinds of fears that are in the world. There's natural fear. And there's childlike fear. There are other ways to describe these. I'm just choosing those. Natural fear is the negative fear. Natural fear leads us to withdraw and run away from things that will harm us. I call that also a slavish fear. The kind of fear where you're, you're, you're worried that you are going to suffer loss and pain. Natural fear. It's the withdrawal factor the runaway fear and we contrast that with the kind of fear god wants his children to have with him i say childlike not 
not in reference to our kids. We want our kids to have a healthy fear of, 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 of a bonfire. Have you ever, <laughs> I've seen this a few times, a toddler for the first time in front of an open bonfire. <laughs> you have to restrain them or they will fall into the fire. They're little fools because they're innocent. They're childlike. They don't have any experience or understanding. You have to physically restrain them. They, and they should learn to withdraw from fire so it doesn't kill them, right? So, but when I say childlike here, I'm not talking about just lack of growth. <laughs> I'm talking about our relationship with God. Here's what a child of God should do with the proper fear. It leads us to approach God. Write that down. Childlike fear in God's people leads us into His presence, not away from Him. Into His program, the church, not away from it. People who avoid church do not have a proper fear of the Lord. Jesus has built this congregation, and He expects His followers to plug in Somewhere, some way, with a body of believers where he is the head and they are the many members joined together. To avoid church is to miss, means you're not afraid of God. You'd rather work your plan instead of his plan. Because he has a plan. To fear him is to obey him. But we obey him because we love him and revere him. We never lose sight of his majesty his grandness, his bigness. Because if he's big enough to destroy all things, don't forget, he also fixes and mends and makes all things. It's both. We have a complex God. So to fear the Lord is a complex thing. We can fear him and love him at the same time. That's the childlike fear we need. It's a biblical phrase for acknowledging all that we are in the face of all that He is. That, that, that's my growing definition of fear of the Lord. The proper acknowledgement of all that I am in the presence of all that He is. When we get to know Him, we see He's awesome and He invites us in. We're not supposed to run away from Him. That's, if you are afraid of God, you don't understand Him. You must be burdened by sin. You must be burdened by your own guilt. You must be ashamed of your own self. You're not living like a child of God. Children of God don't withdraw. Don't live in shame. Don't live in fear of other things. This, this is the fear of the Lord. He has the grace that I need. I see what I need and I go after it. God is my reward and my treasure. And though he slay me, he has the power to take my breath away. Yet will I trust him because I think he's good. I know he's good. My faith is in the fact that he is good. My faith is in the fact that God cares about me so much that he sent his son and he poured his fatherly wrath on his innocent son so that he could adopt a multitude of new sons and daughters. The cross 
crystallizes what the fear of the Lord is. It is to see your guilt and your shame, but not run away from God. The exact opposite. Draw near to Him. Many, many sermons have been drawing me in that direction. On Thanksgiving weekend, we looked at Psalm 145. Remember this? We fear a God who is gracious. God doesn't wait until the New Testament to tell us how good He is. He tells us it all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, that's the most common self-description of God. I am the Lord your God, slow to anger, quick in mercy, gracious, abounding in love. He didn't wait till Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to let us know that. He's always been a God we should fear and love, always. Through the Advent candles, we were reminded that fearing the Lord can lead us to hope in Him. Fearing the Lord leads us to place our faith in Him, not ourselves. Fearing the Lord makes Him our joy, makes Him our peace. We're not looking for peace. We're not looking for joy. He is our joy. He is our peace. Having Him is having everything. Not about presents, not about toys, not about other people. You could lose everybody, lose everything, and still have all that you need in the presence of God. That's the fear of the Lord. It is a beautiful thing. So I conclude the previous 19 lessons with this statement. Write it down. Rejoice at our good God and tremble. Tremble. Shake. Be amazed at how good He is to you. Because you don't deserve it. You can't earn it and you can't pay it back. So what does God ask? Keep trusting me. Because <laughs> He's not done yet. There's more. As gracious and as merciful as He has been to us, we have only tasted the deposit. Just the deposit. Just a drip in the eternal sea of God's goodness. This life, even if we, <laughs> we experience as much as we can as a, as, a, as a broken, fallen human being, it's only a taste, a guarantee of what is to come. That, one, it should kind of humble you. Wow, I feel like I've gotten a lot. I feel like he's forgiven me for a lot. He has, but he has a lot more to give. He has a lot more grace to show. This is the beauty of meditating and thinking about eternity with God. It's, it's paralyzing. A little bit numbing. And also it should frame your life, your suffering, your pain, your hurt, your loss, your loneliness, your brokenness should frame. This, this goodness about God should remind you He's a lot bigger than that. Bear with it. Be patient. Forgive others. Love one another. Show kindness to one another. Even if you are spitefully spoken of and abused and taken advantage of, even if you are destitute and poor and lose everything, 
He's asking you to give up your drop of life for an eternal life of bliss with him to come. Sounds like an unfair deal to me. He's very lavish. He is unfair. He's not giving you what you deserve. He's giving you what he wants. Did you hear that? He's giving you what he wants. Eternal life. He wants you to be with him. Wants you to be with him. Rejoice at our good God and tremble before his holy majesty. And last week you heard from a former missionary who sees grace and sees the grace and goodness of God as our reason for being generous to others. For our reason to be generous in giving to missions, giving to missions organizations, giving to missionaries, and meeting needs and spreading the gospel. Whether we're spreading the gospel through shoeboxes, we're spreading the gospel through donations to ministries here in town, spreading God's truth through acts of love and sacrificial giving. Fear of the Lord leads to generosity. If I'd have been here, that's how I would have introduced him. I like Perry. Heard a lot of good things from you. I'm glad glad you were here last week. This morning, we're looking at the fear of the Lord in Jesus. And as tempted as I am to go to Philippians 2 yet again, I'm just wearing that passage out. I'm going to Isaiah 11. So turn there one more time. We can't read this enough. Isaiah 11. Long before Jesus is born. Long before Jesus starts teaching. Long before the Holy Spirit descends upon him at his baptism. Long before he lays down his life. Long before he utters any parables, any teachings, any sermons on any mounts. Long before all of that, God has a word to say about His coming King, who is also His Son, who is also the son of David. By the way, David's dad's name was Jesse. We read in Isaiah 11, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is poetry, by the way. Sunday school class. The repetition and the building, the enhancement of a singular truth. The Spirit of the Lord. Wouldn't it be enough just to say the Spirit of the Lord is with him? God's coming Son. He's got the Spirit, people. And God doesn't stop there. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might, strength. The power to overcome. The Spirit of knowledge and The fear of the Lord. This is the coming Messiah. He's going to have a proper fear of the Lord. And that particular verse ties together fear and knowledge. Write that down. In verse 2, 
fear is coupled with or linked with knowing the greatness and the goodness of God. They're inseparable. To know God is to fear Him. If you don't fear Him, you don't know enough about Him. It's how they work. Fear and knowledge of God. And you cannot fear God until you know Him. If you think you know Him, but you don't fear Him properly, you're missing a few things. You may only know one or two things about His person, and that's not enough. It's not enough to just say God is love. If that were enough, then we would have one writing on one piece of paper as our word from God. Why did God take thousands of words over thousands of years to explain who he is? Because he's complex. Is he a God of love? Absolutely. Does he love you? Absolutely. But that's still not enough. God loves something more than he loves you. It's himself. His majesty, his glory, his honor. The word we use for that is holy. 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 That's my God. To know that he is holy is to have a proper fear of him. You consider all the places in the Bible where a prophet or an angel talks about a vision of God, enthroned, ruling, reigning, uncontested. The pillars of heaven are shaking. Things are on fire. People are melting down in worship. Nobody is talking about themselves. Nobody is talking about anything else. God has everybody's attention at the same time. That's to fear the Lord. To know Him is to fear Him. To understand who He is is to give Him your attention. Even if all you can say is, holy, holy, holy. That's the point. He's the point. He is the point. Fear coupled with knowing God. And then in verse 3 of Isaiah 11, I read, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? His, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Okay, I, kinda, I know what delight is. When you delight in something, you, you find joy in it, you find happiness. So verse 3, if I had to summarize it, Fear brings delight, joy, and happiness. But it's still, it's still puzzling. The coming Messiah is going to delight in the fear of the Lord. That's hard for me to understand because I still do not have a perfect understanding of what it means to fear God. To delight in something you fear. The ultimate expression of delighting in something is love. When we grow in our delight of something or someone, we, we, we use the word love. It's not that often, I delight in you. Like, that's weird. We don't use that word very often. But we do say love a lot, and I think we're using the word love a lot 
as an expression of delight and joy and happiness with something or someone, right? I could see some of you are going to start saying that to your sweet pea. I delight in you. I could see that. I could see that. That's what it means to find love in something. I'm wrapping my head around this with you. Fear and love for God go together. Fear and love. Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. Jesus delights in having his Father capture his attention, capture his heart. Jesus delights in all the power and the holiness of God. Jesus delights to think about God's presence. Jesus delights to spend time in prayer. Jesus delights preaching, talking to people. Jesus delights to do God's will. He delights even in cleansing the temple, scourging the animals out and rebuking people. It's for the zeal, the love, the delight, the fear he has for his heavenly father. He is captured. He is singularly captured by one big driving force in his life. It is his relationship with his heavenly father. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus on that singular, narrow, difficult, demanding path. I say difficult. Not because the world is laying difficulties upon you, but because the most difficult thing in the world for you to ever have to do is to say no to yourself. Stop pursuing your dreams, your pride, your passions, and surrender them all to Jesus Christ. His way. He's the truth. He's the life. There is no other way to the Father God and a proper fear of the Lord but then to obey Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, commit to Christ. Is that making sense? All the things I know about Christianity are coming into this path of fearing and loving God properly. So this is a new dimension of understanding for me because fear and love do not normally go together. I've got, you don't have to turn here, uh, but I want to read Luke 2.52. I put on a slide. Fired up there. A simple summary of Jesus's pretty much his entire life until he leaves Nazareth, gets baptized, and starts his public ministry. Summary of his life. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, or age and maturity, and in favor with God and people. Jesus increased in wisdom. Hmm. How does anybody increase in wisdom? What's the first step? What's the beginning of wisdom? Help me out here. Oh, so is it okay to say Jesus has fear of the Lord? Well, it better be. Isaiah said he was going to have the fear of the Lord and delight in it. This is what it looks like in his life. He's growing in wisdom. I thought he already knew all things. He didn't know what it meant to be a human and to submit your everyday humanity to the will of God. 
He's growing in grace and knowledge. And the fear of the Lord is increasing even in Jesus. He's going to have to lay down his life. Never done that before. So he has to grow into it. He has to, he has to do a lot of human things that he's never done before. And every time he submits to it, he's growing in the fear of the Lord and in wisdom. The fear of the Lord and in wisdom. It's the story of his life. And then in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus, one of Jesus' uh, harsher statements, Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So there's the negative side, and here's the positive side. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoa! Fear God! Fear God! That's that fire and brimstone preaching, right? Fear God! He's going to crush you. Jesus is your ticket out of hell. That is unhealthy preaching. So we have to balance this statement out with everything else Jesus says to do. Jesus does not make an emphasis on getting out of hell. He doesn't make an emphasis on fleeing from the devil. There's some verses on that. But it's always about drawing near to God. And it's always about God inviting us in. The fear of the Lord. Remember, it's not, well, he's, he's ferocious. I need to be careful. I need to do all these right things and then have a wall between me and God. Build my own righteousness and then I'm safe. No. Admit you've You've already broken the wall down yourself. You have nothing to build with. God invites you in. Come to me, weary, broken, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. All of Jesus' ministry is fear God and come to him. That's, that's the fear of the Lord. It's coming to God for your repair, to meet your needs. That's the childlike part of the faith. You see you have a need, but you go to him to meet your need. Not try to fix it yourself. So even this harsh statement is balanced out by the rest of Jesus' preaching. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, but he doesn't to those who love him. He's also a loving and compassionate God. He is quick to forgive. He is full of grace and mercy. Jesus is going to preach a lot of truth to proud people, but he's also going to preach a lot of grace to humble people. That's how he works gives us what we need this is the same God this is the same God Jesus tells us to serve to worship to sacrifice things for this is the same God Jesus tells us to love love that God and don't be afraid of him fear him but don't be afraid of him fear him properly lay down your life before him Acknowledge your sin. Confess your transgressions to Him. Pour out your heart to Him. Plead with Him. Ask Him for wisdom. He wants to give it to you. He wants to raise you up. He wants to renew your strength. He wants you to soar over your old life like an eagle, catching the upward summer breeze. No effort. The eagle doesn't have to work. 
He just uses what God has put underneath him and rises to heights that are astounding over the worries and cares of life. You need God. You need Him bad. Fear Him and love Him at the same time. How do you love something you fear? That's a natural response. Fear and love something. Yeah, but how do you love? How do you show love towards something you, you fear? This is part of our regular gospel presentation. God, man, Christ response. That's what the GMCR is right there. God, man, Christ response. This is how you love something you fear. First, you have to know it. You have to know who God is. He's holy and righteous. You have to know who you are. You're a sinner who can't save themselves, fix themselves. And you need to know who Jesus is. He's the only begotten Son of God, died in your place, so that through Jesus, you can reach God. God, man, Christ. You need to know that. Well, where does the experience come in? The R. You need to make a personal response. You have to respond to those truths, not just agree with them. Christians are not people who agree with God. They are people who are growing in their love and fear for God. That's a big difference. You preach that loud enough, long enough, you are going to get a lot of pushback from church people. Being a Christian is not just agreeing with God and then you go about and live however you want. No way. Being a Christian is agreeing with God, humbling yourself before Him, and growing in your love for Him. You grow in your love for God, your dedication to God, it sometimes is going to look like you don't love your mother and your father. You grow in your love and your dedication to God, and sometimes it's going to look like you really don't love your kids. Because the world is watching, and they expect you to live a certain way. And when you put God first, it looks different. It looks strange. Because you're willing to follow God even when nobody else is. That's dedication, devotion, fear, and love. So how do you love something you fear? By drawing near to it and following it. By drawing near to it and following it. That's how you love what you fear. Even if it causes you to suffer, even if you lose a few things along the way, <laughs> it's okay. I read the last chapter. I read it. My faith is in it. It's God's word to me to encourage me. Love him. Even if you lose your head, he's a special reward for you. Even if you lose your family. Not because you're mean, not because you're, you're preachy, but simply because nobody else wants to follow you in that direction. Will you follow him even when you are alone? Will you follow him? Will you draw near and keep following him? Your life is, is more of a series of potholes than it is of mountains and ascents. Your, your life is, is, is a lot more crashes than cruises. Your, li your life is going to be a, a whole lot more medical conditions <laughs> than you want. 
a lot more problems, a lot more bumps and bruises, a lot more heartache, a lot more torment than you think is normal, and you're right, it's not normal. Those are the effects of living in a broken and fallen world, but God is going to fix that. He's going to fix His kids. He's going to fix this earth, and there is a heaven, and there is an eternity, and there will be a God there who is amazing, huge, loud, powerful, majestic, thundering, and we get to draw near to Him. How cool is that? We get to be with Him. Draw near and follow Him. The fear of the Lord in Jesus Christ through Isaiah 11 shows us that we too can learn to delight in all that God is. Even if it seems a little big and overwhelming, we can delight in Him and we can find Him to be everything we need. Isaiah 11, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord and delight. This is who Jesus is. My last blank is a question. Is this you? Are you finding it easier and easier as you grow in the Lord to delight in Him even in hard times, even when something goes wrong? That's what it means to grow in wisdom. It means you're growing in your fear of the Lord and you have less fear of other things. That is a natural side benefit of growing in your fear of the Lord. You're afraid of less and less stuff. <laughs> I call that the grandparent syndrome. You ever been around an older person who just isn't afraid to speak their mind anymore? They just don't care. <laughs> They're just going to tell you like it is because... In my family, it's because grandma and grandpa just knew they didn't have much more time to, to tell you like it is. Because they were, they, they were pretty realistic about life and mortality. And so they just started shooting straight. And we're like, whoa, grandma. He, she, they doesn't use those pronouns. Well, they need to honor and respect the way I grew up. I've known them since they were, I powdered their butt. Like, whoa, that's a little harsh. And they can get away with it because they have some... Love, long-term love that they've shown to people and endured with people. Uh, Christianity, though, is not about being harsh and speaking your mind, even if it's true. It's about talking about God in such a way that He is lifted up and draws all men to Him. You can't drive sin out of people, but the fear of the Lord can. You can't change people. Oh, but the presence of God and the fear of the Lord changes everybody who comes to Him. And it's a good thing. So learn to delight in the fear of the Lord this year. I hope in your Bible reading this year you will do something creative to um, circle, highlight, journal. Maybe in the front of your Bible start writing down all the passages you come across that mention the fear of the Lord. You're going to need more than a page. It's everywhere and it's good. It's good. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Jesus 
fears the Lord, and if you are a follower of Jesus, God intends for you to learn to fear the Lord like Jesus did. And that means you will learn to delight in it. Stand with me. Let's pray to that end, that we would learn to surrender more and more of our lives to Him, more and more of our hearts, more and more of our attention, more and more of our stuff to fear the Lord is to delight in the Lord, and it is a good thing. We will find our delight in less and less worldly things. You have a hang-up, you have a bad habit, you have an addiction. You do need to address the addiction. You may need help. You may need medication for that. But you will have an emptiness and a void. The number one way to overcome anything is to have a greater love for God. Everything else will fade away. It may not go away in this life. You may struggle for the rest of your life with certain emotions, certain feelings, certain temperaments. This life is not about perfection, but it is about growing to love and fear God. Pray about that right now. Heavenly Father, we bring our lives before you in 2023. In the year of our Lord. And ask, plead, and beg that you would teach us to delight in who you are more than we delight in ourselves, more than we delight in the people around us, more than we delight in the things of this world. God, increase our ability and our own desire to want to follow you, to want to worship you. We need something bigger to live for. And this earth doesn't give it to us. So by faith, we turn to you in the name of Jesus. And we say, come help us. Change us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it Name of God's redeeming love Hitherto thy love has blessed me Thou hast brought me to this place And I know thy hand will bring me Safely home by thy good grace Jesus sought me Thy goodness like a fair 
guide my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for Thy courts above. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are dismissed. <laughs>